Hello. So um, great to be here, and it's great to, you know, the, what, just what's happened in the service so far this morning. It's great when half your sermon gets preached for you. I say this every time I come up, but, but particularly what Julie just brought um, has made me slightly re-emphasise something that I was going to do. So, it's, um, so thank you, Julie, for bringing that. No, no, don't say sorry. It's fine. It happens every time. I end up rewriting half the sermon in the 10 minutes before. I come up. Um, Marvellous. So um, we're in the book of Colossians. If you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you will know that. Um, so Keith took us through um, the sort of second bit of the first chapter where we used it as a framework for how we should pray, which is fantastic. And when I saw the preaching rotor, I was really excited when I read it because this is probably probably what definitely one of my favorite passages if not my favorite passage of scripture so I was so excited to be able to preach it and I thought this is going to preach itself because it's such a rich passage I can say anything about it and I won't go far wrong it is a fantastic passage of scripture but I'm going to take us back and just read a couple of the last verses of what Keith preached last week so I'm going to take us to Colossians 1, verse 13. So I'm actually preaching on 15 to 20, but I want to take us to 13 to give some context to what I'm preaching. So from verse 13 in Colossians 1, we have, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. So I wanted to read those two verses before I get into the bit that Keith gave me, because the whole passage refers to he. So we have to be careful who we're talking about when we're talking about he. And I wanted to read those two verses to make it clear that we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the son. So from verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in, um, um, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to, him, to himself all things, whether on heaven or in earth, making peace by the blood of the cross. So it's one of the most stunning, fantastic passages of scripture that I've ever seen and it's it's just such a it, there's so much packed into this and it's important to give it a bit of context so this is this is as we as we know and as Kumbalani introduced us to in the first week and Keith introduced us to the last week that this is a, a book to the church in Colossae this is a letter to the church in Colossae one of the things that one of my favorite preachers David Pawson says about the epistles about the letters that Paul wrote and some of the other epistles that were written by, by other authors, is that you're listening to one half of a conversation in a way. They used to send letters to each other. Now, we don't know whether this was in answer to a letter, but it's obviously in answer to some sort of issue. So Paul feels the need 
to say this to the, to the church in Colossae. So I've, I've read up about it. And interestingly, although I can't find an attribution for this, but some authors think that it might have been a quotation of an early hymn that was sung in the early church. So it's a, it's a hymn, it could be a hymn about Jesus. But why does he feel the need to say it? So we can't be sure the exact nature, but it's likely, because often when Paul got a bee in his bonnet and felt the need to write a letter, it was often because there was false teaching in the church he was writing to. So it might have been that they were denigrating and doing down the person and work of Jesus, or they'd not got it quite right. There was something that was drifting away. It might have been that they were teaching that he wasn't fully God. It might have been that they were teaching that he was that sort of incarnational emanations are between God and man, that he was some sort of superman, but that he wasn't fully God. Um, but they might have taught that he wasn't supreme or that he wasn't sufficient. So he, he does just, he, he writes this stunning passage to put all of that straight so that the focus comes back onto Jesus, which is what we should be doing all the time. So in a sense, this is almost like a factory reset for a Christian. It's like, what is it that we believe and what is it, is it that's important about our faith? So I'm going to take it a verse at a time because there's only five verses, and we're going to look at each verse and see what that means and, and look at other passages of scripture that speak to it. So the first verse is that, you know, that I'm looking at is, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And what's, that, what struck me about that verse was the word invisible. So in many ways, God was, um, was some, felt somewhat unknown to the Jewish people. They knew him, but there was ambiguity in some ways about who he was and what he was like. Sometimes people go, well, what is God like? Um, when God came in the person of Jesus, because Jesus was fully God, um, and he showed us what, what God is like. So we want to know what God is like and what God thinks about things. Read the Gospels, because you'll see the way that Jesus acts and the way that Jesus behaves is the way that, that God would behave. So he is God. He's part of the Trinity. God has three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if we're wondering what God is like, we need to look at Jesus. And how do we know that? Because Jesus told us. So if we look at John's gospel, as you know, when I get up here, I read great, hooking great chunks of scripture because I just love it. So um, we're going to look at John's um, gospel and we're going to look at chapter 14 to give that some context. That is when um, Jesus is preparing for his death and he's preparing his disciples for his death. And in John 14, the disciples still don't get what is going on. They know Jesus is important. They know Jesus is special, but they still haven't fully got what is going on. So from verse five in John 14, Thomas said to him, Lloyd, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. But now on from now on, do you know him and have seen him? Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still don't, do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
Do you not believe that I am the Father and I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or, or else believe on the accounts of the works themselves. So Jesus is very clear that he and the Father are one. They are the same thing. They are the same God. That passage doesn't speak about the Spirit particularly, but Jesus is making the, the point that they are one and the same thing. Um, and then, it, then if I then move on to verse 16 of the passage that I'm looking at, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Which is, again, a stunning statement. So Jesus, being God, was intimately involved in creation. He was present at the creation. It was him that was doing it. And one of the words, reasons we know that is that the scriptures in Genesis use the word named for God, Elohim, which is plural which freaks some people out because they think that it means multiple gods. It doesn't. It means multiple persons of God. So it's still one God. He's just got three persons. And it says in verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the, in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild, wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So the persons of God are able to talk to each other. They're able to commune with each other. And actually, our relationship with God is meant to be a picture of that. And Paul would have expected his readers to be conversant in um, the Torah, of which Genesis is the first book. So they would have known that passage of scripture and they would have known that that was what he was referring to. And it also has echoes, if we think of another biblical author, we think of John. I've quoted John a lot because I've quoted John's gospel a lot. And I'm going to quote the first part of it, as you might have expected. So in John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. So this passage, when you first read it, and if you're a new Christian and you come to it, it's a little bit mystifying. You're thinking, what is this about? But it's talking about the word and Jesus being the word. So as well as the Bible being about God, the Bible is Jesus in some senses of the word. So all things were made through him. This is from verse three. And without him was not anything that was made. In him was life and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So you've got a, 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 a deep... Um, engagement with creation so Jesus was doing creation he was God and I also want to hark back to because I was writing this I was reminded of the last time I preached when I preached on Psalm 2 and echoes of Psalm 2 in fact I might have quoted Colossians when I was when I was doing it not knowing that we were going to go on to do Colossians as a book at freedom but in Psalm 2 the first few verses it says why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain the kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed saying 
Let us burst their bombs apart, cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrifying them in his fury saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of his decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. So again, that's talking about the intimate relationship between the father and the son, but it's mentioning the rulers and the kings plotting against him. But actually, they have no business doing that because they were created by Jesus, but they were also created for Jesus. Yeah, there we go. I've got that bit of my notes down here. So, um, yes, so I'm going to do that. So um, as we move then into verse 17 of Colossians, it says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So not only did Jesus create all that exists, so he didn't just create it and go, there you go, there's the world, off you go. He sustains it. So he's involved in it now. And I think it's important, and what struck me was thinking that he is the God of all things. And I have got a book that I've, I've been meaning to read, but it's on, have you, those of us that are, are, are book lovers, have you got a pile of books that you keep meaning to read and you see it and you buy it and then you don't actually read it? One of those, there's a, there's a book on there that's called The God of All Things. And I can't remember who the author of that is, but having read the back of it and had a, had a little look at reviews of it, what the author is talking about is that sometimes as Christians, we can put God in a box and we have our Christian stuff and we think that that's God. When we're praying or when we're doing something that we associate with Christian faith, we think that we are participating with God and our faith. And we are. But what we have to remember is that God is in everything. Everything we do, everything we are involved in, God is part of it. And God can speak to you through he is completely involved in all of creation and everything that we do. He sustains it in all things hold together in him. Um, and a passage, again, another author that, that, that brings up a piece is the author of Hebrews. So in Hebrews 1, 3, which asserts that Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. So it means that if Jesus decided to let go, Let's hope that he doesn't, but let's just theoretically say that he did. It would mean that the entire universe, as we know it, would disintegrate. So as we're sitting here and we're living in his creation, it is him as God. It's the whole of God, but, you know, in the three persons. But we're thinking about Jesus is holding this together. Um, it's a, this is an important distinction. And Paul may well have been hammering it home because of other philosophies that were in the church. So in sort of Platonic and Stoic philosophy, uh, sorry, so Plato and other philosophers, they said that the, what holds the universe together is an idea or virtues. So that, and that's a very strong in Greek thinking and thought. But what this passage is saying is no, it's not that, it's a person. It's the resurrected Christ that holds everything together. Without him, electrons wouldn't, wouldn't go around nuclei, gravity wouldn't work anymore, and the planets wouldn't stay in their orbits. It's that important. It's Jesus that is doing all of those things. And you can pick up those ideas again in John's gospel. I've been in John's gospel an awful lot for this. In John 3, verses 31 to 36, 
He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He, he who comes from heaven is above all. He bear, bears witness to all he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. And, and for he whom God sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So Jesus is from God. He's full of God. He's completely God. He's as God. So those three things are really, really important. So picking up just to just in case you don't believe me, I've got few, I've got, I've got even more scriptures to back this up. So John 8, so going further on into John's gospel, 858, truly, truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus is, Jesus in his earthly life understood himself to be fully God. He understood himself to have always existed. So that is what the Jewish people he was speaking to would have understood by that sentence. Hebrews 1.3 again, so the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature, upholding all things by his powerful world. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And again, um, you know, God, the, God in the person of the Father says in Isaiah 43, 11 to 13, I, even I, am the Lord and beside me there is no saviour. So it's good. So then verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in everything he might be preeminent. So therefore the first in time and the first is important. So again, there are lots of scriptures that pick this up. So in Psalm 89, 27, I will indeed appoint him as my firstborn, the highest of the kings on earth. Um, and, you know, picking up the idea that we are the body of Christ. So from 1 Corinthians 12, now you are the body of Christ and each of you is a member of it. So he is the head of the body, which is the church, and then we are the parts of the body. Um, the church, which first, so from Ephesians, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills all in all, which brings me on to verse 19, which is for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And again, back in John's gospel, from all fullness of we receive grace upon grace. So it's this idea that there's no bits of God missing from Jesus. When you see Jesus and you get to know Jesus, you're getting to know all of God. So when we spend time with him, as Julie was saying earlier, when we, when we take time to pray, get into the word and, and spend time with Jesus, that's how to get to know God. When people say to me, I don't really understand God and I don't, I don't know how to have a relationship with him it's Jesus that is our key to having a relationship with God that's why he came to earth because God knows that we're humans and we're made in God's image and we can't have a relationship with an abstract idea when I talk to my friends who 
have other faiths and are often very devout and very involved in their faith people who are hindu or muslim or or other things one of the things that's really key is they're quite shocked when i talk about god about the intimacy of the relationship that i have they believe and so do we as well that that that, that god should be reverence that god is holy and those things are true but what makes Christianity different, and I would say what gives Christianity its truth for me, is the intimacy of relationship that we have with him. Through Jesus, God gave us a way of understanding him. That is one of the things that he did in sending Jesus. So there are two reasons for the incarnation the crucifixion and the resurrection. The main one being the gospel. So the idea that Jesus came to reconcile us to God and to die for our sins because we're a sinful people and we get forgiven for our sins and that resurrection does that but the other reason he came is because he needed to give us a picture of what he was like so that we knew how to live and that is absolutely that this passage is absolutely full of that one of the ways that this passage is is um summed up and just as i'm saying that it's gone out of my head but it's but basically that he made everything and it's come back in and he paid for everything so he made it all it was all perfect then sin came into the world and messed it up but there was a plan for that jesus came and paid for all of that sin and sorted everything out Okay. And then I'm just going to, again, going back into 1 Corinthians 1. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. So in our own way, in our own carnal way, we can't know him. But God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who, who believe. And as a preacher, I like that verse. Because it means if I get it wrong and I don't say the right things, God is bigger than me and he can sort it out. He can make sure that you, those bits don't land. It's fantastic. Otherwise, I would be too scared to do this. Okay. So, okay. So I'm actually going to move on to the, and actually I'm going to flip back because my printer has got one of those nice big white streaks on it and it's it's cut out the, my bit of scripture here we go so the last the last verse of the passage is and through him to reconcile himself all things whether on heaven or or whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross and a big part of why Jesus came is all to do with peace, as Julie was picking up in, in what, what she brought to us just before I, before I preached. So if you look at what the prophet Micah said about Jesus, he said, he will be our peace when Assyria invades our land and tramples our citadels. We will raise against it seven shepherds and even eight leaders of men. Um, and in Matthew's gospel, she, she, Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. And 2 Corinthians 5, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So, and what really jumped out at me and a, a passage that was given as a cross reference for this passage that I'd never really seen before, which is 
um, I must have read it at some point, but it's Psalm 85, verses 10 and 11. I really like this. I think this is a description of who Jesus is. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. So, and a theologian called James Dunn has written a passage summing up what these five verses are about. And it says, what is being claimed is quite simply and profoundly that the divine purpose in the act of reconciliation and peacemaking was to restore the harmony of the original creation, resolving the disharmonies of nature, so illness, what's going on with our environment, all of that. And the inhumanities of humankind, because I don't know about you, but when I look out at people in the world, we seem to be really good at being evil to each other and not really very good at being peaceful to each other. And the character of God's creation and God's concern for the universe and its fullness of expression could be so caught up and encapsulated for them in the cross of Christ. And an anonymous person who was posting online about this passage. I thought this was great, so I'm, I'm just going to quote. I don't know who they are, but they said about this passage, so I'm just going to quote them. As I was reading this passage, I thought, wow, this is quite the job description. So to be the son of God, you have to conform to God's image, be responsible for the creation of all things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Supervise the cohesive work and efforts of all, the, all things. Be head of the church. Be the firstborn from the dead. Demonstrate supremacy over all. Have full, fullness of God indwelling within you. Responsible for reconciling all things in heaven and earth to himself. Must be willing to make peace between God and all things through the shedding of blood on the cross. Um, and there's no need for a, and a other task as a sign statement because the job description covers everything already. There's so much in there. It can only be God that does that. And this person goes on to say, I love the reminder that I am privileged to participate in God's creative and redemptive work on earth. I love the phrase God who works. But I also love the fact that while I might work alongside God, all of the work that's already been accomplished in Christ, the job description above is not mine at all. I am not ultimately responsible for creating and redeeming things because Jesus has accomplished this already. My work has value, but it is part of, of being uh, and is part of being created in God's image to do work. But my final performance evaluation will not be based upon my efforts or the results I achieve on the final judgment day. I will be called a good and faithful servant because of the gift of forgiveness and reconciliation and salvation I have through Christ. So, amen. So I'm just going to pray to finish. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for everything that you are that has been described in this passage that I've just, just read. I thank you that you are in all things and above all things, and in you all things hold together. And I thank you for the work of forgiveness that you played out when you died on that cross. That as we repented for our sins, you took those sins upon you and you died for them. And then you arose again on the third day and you were triumph triumphant over death. 
And I thank you, Lord, that each one of us can participate in your creation and in your creative work. And I thank you that it's all done and it's all paid for and it's all finished. And we can have that peace that Julie was talking about. I thank you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.